fighting, hatred, fear. Had enough of the noise? Today's show, we'll discuss the data demonstrating that uh, the failure of these experimental inoculations and what has been cleverly remarketed as vaccine breakthrough. That's right. When they say vaccine breakthrough, what they're really saying is vaccine failure. And that's if you believe that these gene DNA altering uh, medical therapies, these biologics are actually vaccines. We just saw a report, we're evaluating a report right now out of Sweden that is uh, very interesting, showing that they have the ability to actually prevent DNA repair, which is akin to modifying or rapidly breaking down the DNA. So we're going to talk about that in a future show. I want to make sure I really have a good handle on that and see if we can get us a good guest in to talk about this issue. We're also going to talk about in today's show, uh, the incredible ruling, this wonderful, absolutely great ruling. If you've needed to read something to make you feel really good and restore your faith in our um, judicial system, at the very least, I encourage you to read the ruling from the Fifth Circuit Court, the opinion that was entered in by the Honorable Kurt Engelhart. Just a wonderful, wonderful um, ruling. We will read some excerpts from his opinion, but it was very clear that he gets it. And the other two judges that jo- uh, that voted, excuse me, unanimously uh, to end the um, mandate, the attempted unlawful, unconstitutional workaround that the Joseph Biden uh, administration and Joseph Biden himself attempted, you know, I think you'll, it'll restore your faith a little bit. It'll make you feel a little bit better. So we'll talk a little bit about that in the show today as well. But before we get into all that, uh, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, uh, I really want to share with you what I'm grateful for. First and foremost, I want to let you know, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for your resolve, for your endurance, and that you care enough to continue to listen and to research, to ask questions, to do all you can to make a difference. Uh, It's just really magnificent, this gift that you are giving the world uh, in saying, I will not go along with what I know to be wrong. So thank you so much for that. Uh, I can't tell you how grateful that I am for you other than say, I love you. Thank you so very much for this gift. I'm grateful for all the incredible heroes that I get to work with. I have to pinch myself sometimes 
the the people that I get to work with and how incredible they are. Uh, you know, and of course, you know, I could name names and we could start with, you know, Dr. Peter McCullough and, you know, uh, Malcolm Magruder from America Out Loud. We could get into the Kevin Jenkins of the world and, um, you know, some of the unsung heroes like uh, Amber and Lisa and Christine, who do such a great job supporting the work that we do with COVIDCon 21. We could uh, talk about so many people and I, I don't want to leave anyone out, but I got to tell you, one of the great experiences of my life has been meeting so many incredible people, so selfless, who care about doing what's right. You know, sometimes when we're out there in this experience, it's easy to feel alone. It really, really is. But I encourage you to not give in to that and to be aware that there are literally millions of people who think the way that you do. There are millions of people and growing, these numbers are growing every day, who not are just tired of what's going on, but are starting to really understand we have to do something about this. We have to do something significant about this. We have to put ourselves in a position to celebrate victory. It's on the way, but we have to make sure and bring it home. I'm grateful for the moments that remind us something far greater than ourselves is at play. You know, there's all these little moments of how could this possibly happen if not for some divine intervention, something greater that is based upon love that is looking out for us, even in these dark, dark times, these uncertain, scary times, that there is some force out there that is so strong and so based in love that it connects us in these incredibly coincidental ways sometimes. You know, I've lived for a long time and I've never known an emergency to last for years. An emergency is something that's very short-lived, right? I've known wars to last years. And that's what I think we're in right now is a war, maybe a spiritual war, but a war nonetheless. And uh, I want to be very clear that this is not an emergency. It's being called an emergency to justify wrong action, but it's not. It's a war. It's a war for the soul of who we are going to be as a species a war for the soul of, are we going to be a species that believes in doing what's right? That believes that the most important thing we can preserve is freedom, especially for our children. A species that believes that when people do wrong, they should be held accountable for their wrongdoing, particularly when as many people have been injured and killed as a result of their greed. I think I know the answer to that, and I think you do too. Mm. It's coming. I can feel it. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way, but if you stop and you get into stillness, you can feel it. That victory, it's coming. We just have to stay the course. 
you know, I was talking to my son earlier this week about illusions versus reality, because he was saying, you know, he was getting a little disconsolate about all the illusions, all the illusions out there. Oh, so many illusions. And I asked him, well, what's real? And he said, I, I, I don't really understand what you're saying. And I said, if you were dropped off on this beautiful planet and we didn't have roads and we didn't have cities and we didn't have all the infrastructure for food and for shelter, you were just dropped off naked as the day you were born and said, sun's going to go up, sun's going to go down. There's going to be some weather changes. Your body has needs. Go. <laughs> what would be real. And so he said, well, I need to breathe. I said, you're right. He said, well, I'm going to need some water. I said, you're right. He said, um, there's going to be other predators out probably, huh? And I said, yeah, it's a good, safe assumption. So he said, I'm going to need some place to rest safely so that the predators can't get me. And I said, you're right. He said, I'm going to need to eat. I said, you're right about that. And he said, I'm going to need to make sure I don't feel like I'm alone. I'm going to need someone else. I said, you're right about that, son. He got it. And it got me thinking about this whole season we're in, Thanksgiving, one of my favorite holidays, by the way. I love the energy of being grateful because it's afforded me so many wonderful things in my life. But it got me asking a question, am I really grateful for the air and how am I showing it? Am I really grateful for the water that I get to drink and that cleans me? And how am I showing it? Have I told the air and the water that I'm grateful for them? And is that crazy for me to give gratitude to the air and the water? I don't think so. I think it's actually kind of Silly that I've never thanked water for being water. I look at my home and I say, I've shown gratitude to my home. How am I showing gratitude? By, by paying the mortgage? By paying the rent? You see what I'm saying? It's an interesting question. We oftentimes, but I don't think often as we would all like to, give thanks for the food that we eat. You know, when we make meals and eat meals together in my home, we give gratitude, but I don't know that I give gratitude for every meal. And that's something that I want to check in with. And I don't know if I've given gratitude to all the people who bring laughter into my life and love and light and hope. How am I showing it? You know, this is a question that I've had. And so what I resolve to do this Thanksgiving season is explore the illusions versus reality. You know, the things that don't really matter are the things that uh, we can easily replace. You know, um, got into a little fender bender the other day, really minor, no, no, nobody was hurt, just, just inconvenience. I can replace that. So that doesn't really matter. But had uh, someone lost their life, that would matter. It's hard, you can't replace that. You know what I mean? And so what happened for me with this illusion versus reality talk was it got me really thinking about what I really need and what really, really matters. 
And it got me thinking about how can I show the air that I'm grateful for it? How can I show the water that I'm grateful for it? How can I show shelter, food, the people who bring laughter and hope into my life that I'm grateful for all of this? How can I show my body that I'm grateful for all the amazing things it's done ever since I was first conceived? I mean, after all, is there anything more incredible than waking up every single day? That's a pretty awesome thing to do. And it got me thinking about this wonderful gift that we call life and how special and precious it is because it never had to happen. Hmm. And it got me thinking and asking myself questions. How am I showing this great being God, our creator, Allah, Jehovah, whatever the name you ascribe to this being from which all originates, this, this love from which all originates, how am I showing my gratitude? And I think what it's taken me to is an exploration on the actions, what's in my control to do every single day. Am I doing all I can do to bring light into the darkness, to bring love into the hate, to bring logic into the insanity? Am I doing all I can do? Some days better than others, yes. But I think it's a good question to ask. Because when we participate in this grand thing that's going on, we do it with love and light and logic. We do it with integrity and resolve. We create the opportunity for magic to take place. Magic in these little moments when all seems lost, that the tide turns because something greater than ourselves has been watching and carrying us through this moment the whole time. And maybe, just maybe, all that great energy wanted to see was us get it. That the secret is faith. That we just have to have faith, that love will prevail. And I think that's really easy to have that faith because love is undefeated. If you ever get a chance, I encourage you to check out the Battle of Midway during World War II. There's an incredible story of search pilots from the U.S. Uh, naval forces going out and scouting for the four Japanese carriers that were in hiding. And there's this incredible story of courage of one particular patrol unit that made a very fateful decision that to either turn around and refuel and potentially lose an opportunity to spot this fleet 
this, uh, these four carriers or to press on and say, we will put our planes in the Pacific before we go back because the mission is that important. And this job that we have been assigned is going to mean life or death to millions of people. In this story, they pressed on knowing that they had reached the point of no return and they would not be able to head back safely to the base. And there was no guarantee that they would find the four naval carriers and there was no guarantee that they wouldn't have to, that they'd be found once they put their planes in the water. But they went on faith. And lo and behold, as so always happens, they saw a flicker of reflective light from a optic on one of the Japanese naval carriers. And that being in the exact right position at the exact right moment to get the sun reflecting off that optic, off that lens, and to see that little flicker, that's all it took for them to find those ships and sink three of the four and ultimately the fourth a little bit later in the day. And it was that decisive moment that transformed the entire Pacific theater and changed the turned the tide of the war for good. Now you tell me, was that an accident? Or was that an act of bravery and faith founded on a deeper understanding of what really matters and getting immersed into the ecstasy of universal connectedness to have a moment with God? A moment with God that changed history forever. Love is undefeated. And that's, I think, the thing I am the greatest, I have the greatest gratitude for, that reassuring thought. So this holiday season, I hope you embrace reflection, embrace faith, and embrace love in all that you do. And I hope with all of my heart that you reignite the resolve that we must have to carry ourselves through these dark times together and make sure that we bring light into this world yet again. We'll be right back after these messages, folks, with vaccine failure data. Today, America stands at the crossroads of history. Our actions will determine the fate of our nation. Well, that journey starts here and starts now. We invite you to join us in making the ultimate difference. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters. Turn notifications on and stay in the know. You'll find all that back at AmericaOutloud.com. Liberty and justice for all.
In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only eight seconds, one second less than a goldfish. If you find yourself always distracted or having trouble recalling information, you're likely to fall behind in the demanding, fast-paced 21st century. In other words, brain performance is more critical now than ever. Boost your brain power with Healthy Cells Focus Plus Recall. Science-backed nootropics to sharpen focus, concentrate longer, enhance recall, improve mental speed, learn rapidly, and be more alert. It's a pill-free brain supplement made with maximum absorption technology, designed to feed our brains at the cellular level. Take it for a test drive. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Focus Plus Recall. That's HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 20% off. All right, welcome back, everyone. Let's get cracking here. So uh, one of the things that I do is uh, a lot of data analysis. It's my background. I'm really privileged to work with a bunch of great professionals who, who help me out tremendously with this. And, and it's, uh, it's actually kind of fun. I wish the topic was better, but it's actually kind of fun going through and doing a lot of research, pulling information together, and then and then really getting into what, what, the, what are the key points of it and how can I express that uh, to Americans out there so that, that it makes sense, you know, and, and that it's easy to understand, right? Uh, because so often the truth is hiding in plain sight. And, you know, that's what's really eerie about everything. The truth is hiding in plain sight. So why are we having such a difficult time unearthing it, <laughs> you know, and uh, that, that's, that's one of the questions. Well, um, when, when I get started with data analysis, it always starts with a good question, like so much research and investigation does. It takes good questions. So one of the questions I had was really simple. How many people um, have experienced vaccine breakthrough, otherwise known as vaccine failure? otherwise known as experimental inoculation failure. And I think that's the best way to say it. So I'm going to keep saying it like that. Experimental inoculation failure, AKA vaccine breakthrough. Okay. So let's, let's just, just roll with me on that one. When we are looking to answer that question for the past few months, I had been going to the CDC's breakthrough data page and just checking, you know, every week on how many, hospitalizations breakthrough wise were there around the country and how many um you know breakthrough deaths were reported as well how many uh, ex uh experimental inoculation failure deaths there were an experimental that doesn't roll off the tongue does it we'll, we'll call it breakthrough we'll just say breakthrough i can't keep using the word vaccine because i don't think it's a vaccine but we'll use the word breakthrough just for ease okay so how many breakthrough deaths and how many breakthrough hospitalizations so i'd go to the cdc's page that they had dedicated to this and uh, and check it out as I was doing my vaccine adverse events reporting system updates too. I, I really like to look for the data, right? Well, in looking for the data, um, you know, earlier this year, it was very interesting on April 30th of uh, 2021, the CDC stopped reporting breakthrough cases. And I was like, okay, well, that's a, that's a little weird. That's a little odd, don't you think? And what ended up happening with that 
was they put together a page to kind of explain why. And that page that they put together to, uh, you know, more or less, you know, explain why was, um, you know, it was, it was revealing to say the least. One of the things that it was revealing on were that they were creating a, a set, the CDC was creating a separate set of rules. And I want to, I want to kind of break those rules uh, down for you if I can. Okay. Cause this, this really kind of made no sense. Now, if you were to get infected by the SARS-CoV-2 virus or, or suspected that you had an infected, you go and get a PCR test and the lie that's been going on for so long is that PCR can determine whether a person is fe- infectious or not. And that's not true. It never can be and for this simple reason. Um, the CDC has reported since uh, really, I think it was about March of 2020. And here's the quote, and this comes from CDC Korea, uh, Lee et al., um, in terms of the scientists, uh, quote unquote, uh, although replication competent virus was not isolated three weeks after symptom onset, recovered patients can continue to have SARS-CoV-2 RNA detected in their upper respiratory specimens for up to 12 weeks. So what that means is that for up to 12 weeks post recovery, a person can still show um, positivity in terms of uh, PCR. And that's why PCR should not be used to determine infectiousness, all right? PCR can tell you if something's there, but it can't tell you if you can transmit it. And that's why they're saying um, that um, they couldn't find any replication competent virus um, three weeks after symptom onset. That's to say that by three weeks, every single person that they tested was recovered, okay? So um, PCR, we know is a flawed strategy to begin with. So you know, it's not really good. But if you were getting tested with PCR and um, the positivity, whether you're positive or, or false, um, or excuse me, positive or negative, uh, would be this concept called cycle threshold. How many times are they photocopying what was in the sample, right? So if uh, you photocopy something once, one sample becomes two. If you photocopy something uh, twice, those two samples become four. And if you uh, sample or if you cycle something again, um, it's going to now go from four to eight and then eight to 16. And so it starts to go exponential, right? So by the time you get to 40 in terms of cycle threshold, there's so much uh, there that, you know, you could find basically anything you want. And that's been a big complaint among the scientific community for um, almost two years now is that the cycle threshold is set too high at 40. uh, And what that does is it invites a lot of false positives. And that's been an argument for some time. Well, what's very interesting about the rules for breakthrough that the CDC put up on this page was that uh, they lowered the cycle threshold from 40 to 28, which is where it should be for everyone really. But they created an apples to oranges measurement for this. So essentially what they did was they said, hey, we know if for the infection, the the people that are being tested for infection, we know in the unvaccinated or what we're calling unvaccinated, we know that we're getting a lot of false positives and hyperinflating the data by setting the cycle threshold to 40 um, uh, or lower for um, a positive finding. 
we know this so much and we want to make sure that uh, the breakthrough cases, the fully vaxxed breakthrough cases don't hyperinflate, that we're going to set the cycle threshold to 28. So it was very interesting in the first rule uh, that the CDC set forth for submitting breakthrough samples, fully vaccinated samples to be assessed for breakthrough. What was very interesting was they set that cycle threshold to 28. So it's like, well, wait a minute, why would you set one to 40 and one to 28? Well, why? Because the one that's set to 40 is for cases and you wanna find as many cases as you want. So you wanna include as many false positives as you can, but you want to make sure the vaccine breakthrough cases don't skyrocket. So how do you do that? Set the cycle threshold to a reasonable value of 28. If you got to be below 28 to be deemed a positive case in, the, in those instances, voila, now you've eliminated. So that's, that's kind of, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's fraud. <laughs> Let's call it what it is. That's, that's manipulation of statistical information and it's a violation of federal laws. That's fraud. Okay. That's the first rule they put in to determine vaccine breakthrough, otherwise known as failure. The second rule that they put in was that patients uh, must have received all experimental inoculations in the series. So Moderna, it was two, Pfizer, it was two, Johnson and Johnson, it was one. And it be at least 14 days um, since the last in the series, the last shot in the series. So if you had gotten, let's say both uh, Moderna shots and it had only been 13 days before you started feeling symptoms, you go in and get tested, they wouldn't consider you eligible for being evaluated for vaccine breakthrough, but they would count you as a case. If you had only gotten one shot of the two, they wouldn't consider you for vaccine breakthrough evaluation, but they would consider you for a case addition. Does that make sense? Right? It's ridiculous. And so what the CDC really did with rule two was they created only two categories, either you are fully vaccinated or you're unvaccinated. There's no middle ground. There isn't a third category according to the CDC that would have been called partially vaccinated. And really, if we were looking at this objectively, we should have those three categories. We should have fully vaccinated. I disagree with their need to be 14 days since the last one. I think that's ridiculous. But let's just say they needed that for some reason. There was some scientific reason for it. They can lie and say there is, but there isn't. We could deem that group fully vaccinated, fully inoculated. But then we should have a middle group that's partially inoculated. People who've gotten one and just decided they weren't going to get another one or people who just said, you know what, I got one. I had a, a bad adverse event. I'm not doing it. Or I'm waiting for my second one uh, or whatever, you know, but we, there should be that second group. And then there should be a third group, people who've never had a inoculation and never had an experimental inoculation. Instead, what the CDC has cleverly done is they've said, if you're not fully inoculated and by those strict rules, then you're unvaccinated, <laughs> right? And so what that does is it groups the people who have never gotten a shot with the people who have only gotten one out of two, or they've gotten both and it hasn't been 14 days since the last one. Does that make sense? And so it's a really disingenuous way of aggregating and collecting data. 
and it can gives them the opportunity to make ridiculous claims like this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Well, of course it is. If you count everybody that doesn't fall into these really strict rules as unvaccinated and you don't have that third category, now what you're doing is hyperinflating data again so that you can shape a narrative in the way you want. And then they had a third rule for vaccine breakthrough. And I thought this one was very interesting. All potential vaccine breakthrough samples must come from symptomatic patients. So if you're being evaluated using PCR for just a routine infection and you are deemed unvaccinated, you can be in their terms, asymptomatic something that was disproven by the Wuhan study of almost 10 million people, there is a 0.0000000000% chance of asymptomatic transmission in that study of almost 10 million people. Okay. And that was published and peer reviewed in nature journal. So what they're effectively doing is making sure that they de-emphasize breakthrough cases with all these rules. And at the same time, add more people to the unvaccinated category and take people away from the fully vaccinated category. You see this? This is data manipulation. It's ridiculous. Okay. It's disingenuous. It's disgusting. It's ridiculous. And it's easily proven how this could manipulate data in favor of a narrative such as this is a pandemic of the vaccinated. Okay. So with that in mind, we go in and we go diving for this data because I started looking and I've been, like I said, I've been tracking the CDC's evaluation of this for months, every week for months, okay? And something happened on October 30th and April 30th of 2021, they stopped reporting, CDC stopped reporting breakthrough cases, but on October 30th of 2021, the CDC stopped reporting breakthrough hospitalizations and breakthrough deaths as well. That's something that really hasn't come out very much yet. In its place, what they've put in is a lot of propaganda about a term called vaccine effectiveness. And what they've also put in its place is um, something that they're terming uh, breakthrough rates, rates that you cannot evaluate independently because they aren't making those data sets available. Okay. So when we see the CDC doing that, we go, okay, something's up, right? They're lying again. They're manipulating data again, surprise, something's up. And what we end up doing is we say, well, let's, let's catalog where the CDC left off. What was their last report on things? So on April 30th, their last report of breakthrough cases was 10,162. On October 30th or around October 30th, whenever they finally pulled the plug on that page uh, that had hospitalizations and death, breakthrough hospitalizations and death, there were, according to the CDC, 30,270 breakthrough hospitalizations nationwide and 10,857 breakthrough deaths um, nationwide. And of course, they tried to explain those away as saying those people had multiple comorbidities. Surprise. Yeah, well, if you're using that argument there, you should really use it for all these supposed COVID deaths because that's a major thing. So that got me asking a question. And that question was, is the CDC lying? 
And to get the answer to that question, I had to go down to every single state health department, just like I've done previously for the case, hospitalization and death data uh, for the infections, right? And see who was publishing, which state health departments are publishing data on breakthrough and which aren't, because that's going to tell you how closely and how seriously this is being tracked. And this is a very important thing for us to have accurate information on. Well, as of November 14th, only 31 out of the 51 U.S. health departments, I'm including Washington, D.C. in there as well. So only 31 out of the 51 U.S. health departments were reporting at least partial data on COVID vaccine breakthrough. That means 20 U.S. health departments were not publishing, reporting anything on breakthrough and because of that, they must not be reporting that to the CDC, okay? The states that aren't reporting any data at all or haven't update, updated their data in months on vaccine breakthrough, Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, Colorado, Connecticut, Florida, surprisingly, Iowa, Kansas, I shouldn't say surprisingly, the Florida Health Department has been terrible this whole time, the governor has been amazing. DeSantis has been amazing, right? But the health department's been terrible. Uh, so Florida, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Missouri, Nevada, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New Mexico, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Utah, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. Those are the states not reporting any data on breakthrough, or it's been so long since they've reported that their data is completely outdated and usually precedes the inclusion of the Delta variant. All right. But we did get data on 31, and I'm going to provide this uh, data set for you as well with all the web references, all the links and everything, and all the notes to it. Because like I promise you every time, if I say something, I can back it up. I will not make a statement unless I can prove it. And this is what we've been able to prove. So while the CDC last reported breakthrough cases at 10,162, when we added up all the published breakthrough and confirmed breakthrough cases under all of those ridiculous CDC rules, because every state health department is following those ridiculous CDC rules, those apples to oranges CDC rules. When we summed all of them up from 31 health departments, the last report from CDC on breakthrough cases, 10,162. When we totaled them up from the 31 health departments, 1 million 446,807. Wow. 1,446,807. That means that in 1,446,807 trusting Americans, the experimental inoculations failed, failed to protect them. That is a horrible reality, and it would make sense why the CDC wouldn't want you to know that. We looked at breakthrough hospitalizations. The last report from the CDC was 30,270. 30,270, and this was through October 30th, let's just say it's somewhere in that time frame. 
when we went to the 31 health departments, U.S. health departments actually reporting on this, that number was 56,324. So the CDC was grossly underreporting that. And then we looked at breakthrough deaths. Tragic. Every single one of them. The CDC last reported 10,857. When we look at all the U.S. state health departments, I should say the 31 who are actually publishing some data on this, breakthrough deaths totaled 16,111. 16,111. So the CDC not only changed the rules for what con- for comparing like infectious PCR to uh, you know the um, fully vaccinated PCR, you know I should say the unvaxed PCR to the at forty to the fully vaxed PCR at twenty eight. Not only did they um, create this only two statistical categories fully vaxxed, and if you're not fully vaxxed, you're unvaxxed. It doesn't matter if you've had a shot or two. It doesn't matter. It just You're either or when there's really a third category. Not only did they not create that third category and just grouped everything as unvaxxed so that they could hyperinflate data and show that and, and tell a story instead of telling the truth. But then they went that extra mile and said, you cannot submit a person who's been fully inoculated. You cannot submit a sample for evaluation unless they are also symptomatic. But that same standard isn't for people who are quote unquote unvaccinated. And what this tells me, I mean, this is fraud. Let's call it what it is. This is data manipulation. This is fraud. This is obstruction. This is prevention of, this is failure to inform the American people of this. These are the first products in medical history that within 12 months will have the dubious distinction of being both failures in over a million cases to protect the people who receive them and injuring over a million people in the process. That's right, you heard me. These are the first products ever in American medical history that will have the dubious distinction of failing over a million times and injuring over a million people in the process. How anyone could call experimental inoculation still in clinical trials safe and effective is beyond me because you can't say that not knowing what the long-term ramifications are. But when you have this kind of data in front of you, that at least 1.4 million people this has failed in under more stringent guidelines. And 56,000 people have been hospitalized and 16,000 people have died because of this failure. It is impossible for any objective person to say that these are effective. And when you look at the vaccine adverse events reporting system data and the CMS data and all this data that we have showing that the safety signals are through the roof, that these are far and away the most injurious products in history. 
when you have that dubious distinction of injuring over a million people as well, how can you call them safe? We'll be right back after these messages. Hail, my fellow Americans, how did you feel watching footage on the news of domestic terrorists looting our stores and burning our cities down? Uh, You were probably disgusted and angry as much as I was. It's disturbing what's going on. Well, you'd be shocked to know that your shopping habits are supporting these extremists. Companies like Amazon, Nike, Disney, FedEx, it's an endless list. And they've been supporting these radical groups. Let's stop supporting companies that fund these extremist groups. We can all do our part. Visit shoptotheright.com and you'll find businesses in a nationwide database and companies that are aligned with our American values. Visit shoptotheright.com and let's all make a difference. All right, welcome back, everyone. Um, we're going to end on a really super positive note, and I think you're going to really enjoy this segment. Uh, before we get into it, I want to encourage you, if you really are liking the information that you're hearing that we're putting together here for you on the uh, vaccine safety data, the efficacy data, you want to have access to videos from incredible presenters, Dr. Peter McCullough, um, you know, Dr. James Lyons-Weiler, Pam Popper, uh, Dr. David Martin, Kevin Jenkins, and uh, an array of incredible American heroes uh, from the uh, COVIDCon21 event. I would encourage you to go to uh, covidcon21.com and sign up to get full access to everything for only $50 one time, $50. You get access to all of that, all of the resources, all the updated material that we've been uh, providing, all the weekly updates. We're going to keep you updated and informed every week, access to our Telegram channel, and uh, and even starting in December, access to a monthly Q&A session with myself and anyone else that I can find out there that has the time in their schedule on that particular day that we're doing it to come and join us to answer questions that you might have out there. Some of the most powerful segments we've done have been people just asking questions and giving us a chance to interact with you and and, and get them answered. So we'd love for you to join our COVIDCon21 community Go to covidcon21.com, sign up to get full access to everything, and we can't wait to have you join us uh, in this wonderful, wonderful experience as we march towards victory. All right, everybody. Now, um, great stuff came out last Friday. Uh, Fifth Circuit uh, Court unanimously upholds the stay against Biden's unconstitutional mandates. A couple days later, OSHA stands down on it. Uh, you know, just great, great news. Effectively, the mandates have been ended. There is an appeal that is now before the Sixth Circuit Court, and I believe it's going to be held in Cincinnati. Who knows how quickly that's going to go down. But we do know that the three justices ruling on this ruled unanimously, and they wrote such a scathing judicial opinion complete with wonderful citations of Supreme Court rulings, doctrines, really laying the groundwork for making it 
in my opinion, and I'm not an attorney or legal expert, but in my opinion, virtually impossible for any uh, appealing uh, court to overturn this you, because they laid it out clearly for all attorneys. If they try this at a state level, this is how you defeat um, the attempts to turn OSHA into the new Gestapo, the new secret police uh, for the state. It was just magnificent. I got to give incredible gratitude to the Honorable Kurt D. Englehart, who just took the lead on this and crushed it. I'm going to read a couple of quotes for you. My encouragement to you is if you are tired of reading negative stuff about COVID and it's always bad news, bad news, bad news, make sure you go to the article that we've published on America Out Loud. Um, and it's called The Fifth Circuit Unanimously Upholds Stay Against Biden's Unconstitutional Mandates. Check it out, folks. Read it. We have a direct link in there to the full ruling. It's a 22-page um, opinion. And my goodness, it will put a smile on your face to know that there is someone still in our judicial system that thinks the way that the Honorable Kurt D. Englehart does. I'm going to read a couple of quotes here for you. Bear with me. Quote, unquote, the public interest is also served by maintaining our constitutional structure and maintaining the liberty of individuals to make intensely personal decisions according to their own convictions, even or perhaps particularly when those decisions frustrate government officials. And of course, he's alluding to Joseph Biden's our patience is wearing thin comment because that's something a parent would say and not a president, right? No one elected you to be dad for this country. You were elected to govern, not to be a dictator, okay? A couple more really good quotes in here. And there's, it's, it, and when I mean, it, it is filled with excellent quotes, okay? Uh, Judge Inglehart says, the mandate is staggeringly overbroad applying to two out of three private sector employees in America in workplaces as diverse as the country itself. The mandate fails to consider what is perhaps the most salient fact of all. The ongoing threat of COVID-19 is more dangerous to some employees than other employees. All else equal, a 28-year-old trucker spending the bulk of his workday in the solitude of his cab is simply less vulnerable to COVID-19 than a 62-year-old prison janitor. Likewise, a naturally immune, I love this part right here, folks, that he brings the natural immunity into the conversation without even being prompted. Likewise, a naturally immune, unvaccinated worker is presumably at less risk than an unvaccinated worker who has never had the virus. The the list goes on, but one constant remains. The mandate fails almost completely to address or even respond to much of this reality and common sense. That's on page 13 of this. What a wonderful, I, he dropped in common sense. This is, it gets scathing, right? It's just scathing in here. Um, he goes on to say, uh, it's not, it, it was not and likely could not be under the Commerce Clause and non-delegation doctrine intended to authorize a workplace safety administration in the deep recesses of the federal bureaucracy to make sweeping pronouncements on matters of public health affecting every member of society in the profoundest of ways. And he cites two 
uh, a USC and a case uh, and a case law, a case precedent, when he's simply saying that Congress never empowered through the Occupational Safety Health Act, never empowered OSHA to do what the Biden administration is attempting to give them the authority to do, right? This was one of my favorite lines in here. Okay, one of my favorite lines. On the dubious assumption that the mandate does pass constitutional muster, which we need not decide today, it is nonetheless fatally flawed on its own terms. Okay, how crazy is that, right? He says, rather than a delicately, han delicately handled scalpel, the mandate is a one-size-fits-all sledgehammer that makes hardly any attempt to account for differences in workplaces and workers that have more than a little bearing on workers' varying degrees of susceptibility to the supposedly grave danger the mandate purports to address, right? So he's calling in, he's calling BS on this notion that it's a grave uh, danger. And then he goes on and one of the comments he made in, in his opinion, which I thought was brilliant, was that it's staggeringly overbroad, but also staggeringly under, underbroad as well. And he says that um, OSHA's reversal in this instance, not in saying that there's some magical cutoff number of 100 for employers, right? OSHA's reversal here strains credulity as does its pretextual basis. Such shortcomings are all hallmarks of unlawful agency actions. He called what they are attempting to do unlawful as he called what the Biden administration is attempting to do unconstitutional. Folks, I encourage you to read this and enjoy it. There, I encourage you to read the article. There's much more in there. I don't want to give it all away, but suffice to say we had a major watershed victory. And thank you, Judge Englehart, for what you've done here. This is historic, this ruling. All right, folks. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's show. I hope you got a good feel for, you know, experimental inoculation failure, aka vaccine breakthrough. And the real data that's been hiding in plain sight, but that for some curious reason, the CDC didn't want you to know about. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why they wouldn't want you to know that 1.4 million times this great product, this gift from God, according to the new governor in New York, right? Um, failed. Doesn't seem to me like God is in the business of failing too much. So and I don't think God has failed 1.4 million times ever on anything. So um, that's pretty, pretty interesting right there. This, this, this cult, it's like, it's like they're a cult of vaccinologists, you know, it's this, this God complex that these people have and this fear that they're running. It's, it's, uh, you know, last time I checked, we live in the land of the free and the home of the brave, right? That's what I was brought up on. You know what I mean? Uh, not the land of the sheep and the home of the slave, you know, those, uh, those times are supposed to end, you know, on June 19th, 1865. That's when those, those were supposed to end. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward, I'm really looking forward to more victories to come. 
I think the Biden administration has made a tremendous mistake by appealing this ruling, but let them do it. And uh, I, I think that in the interim, every business owner has an obligation to their employees to stop the crap, cut the crap out and let your employees work and do their jobs and earn their livings and take care of their families, regardless of whether or not they decided to participate in an ongoing experiment. Um, so let's throw that gauntlet down to these businesses that are still thinking they have the right to tell their employees what to do with their bodies. No, you don't. And you never did. So cut it out, cut the crap and let Americans get on with taking care of our families and get on with our lives, get on with living and celebrating in gratitude this incredible miracle of existence that we never had to have in the first place. Folks, we are winning. Let's keep that faith and stay the course. My name is Dr. Henry Ely, <laughs> founder of the Energetic Health Institute. And it's my pleasure to bring you this information on Energetic Health Radio. May our creator shine his divine light down upon us, everyone we love, and surround us in the protection of his warm embrace. Adios, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you, or at least we'll put together something worth listening to hmm. next week as well. Have a beautiful weekend. Make sure you tell somebody that you love, that you love. All right, everybody. Peace.